You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. What's good, everybody? Buongiorno. Ni hao, motherfuckers, and konnichiwa, bitches. Welcome, everybody, to the Avocado Cafe. This is the internet's only Kimagore Orange Road podcast. Period. Zero, the end. I am your host, Jason Almy, and I'm pleased to welcome you all to the show today. We're going to be talking about episode number seven of the television series entitled Madoka's Private Life, A Spark-Colored Kiss. What kind of color is a spark, you might ask? I don't know. This episode originally aired May 18th of 1987. It was directed by Morikawa Shigeru. This is uh, Morikawa's first episode directed by him, but he will be back for some notable episodes in the future, some episodes that get talked about quite a bit. So uh, we're going to see that name come back up in some important ones in the future. This episode was written by Tomita Sukihiro. This is Tomita's second episode. Tomita also wrote the Disturbing Sea Experience episode. And we're going to pick back up on a running theme from episode five, the problematic part-time job episode. Ayuko has an adult side to her. She has a maturity that's a little bit intimidating to Kasuga. Her adult side, her private life is Mostly unseen by Kasuga. It's something that he's completely unaware of, which of course feeds his insecurities. It's mysterious. It's also threatening because maybe she's out there spending time with other guys. Who knows? He doesn't. Kasuga doesn't. He has no way to know. So he worries about these things. They feed into his insecurities. And we open up the episode with a little bit of comedy, a little bit of like physical Jingoro comedy. That's usually what Jingoro is good for. I got to wonder why Manami is even bothering with a vacuum at all. I mean, can't she just teleport all the dust outside? Why bother vacuuming up the cat hair if you can just teleport it outside in uh, like one simple little like, uh, what do you call it, nose wiggle? What'd she do on uh, Bewitch? She did the little nose wiggle, right? 
If you could just teleport all the dust outside, wouldn't you? Why would you even mess with plugging it in the vacuum and running it across the floor? She's in private. No one's going to see her do it. Honestly, I would have loved to have seen them teleporting like all the dust and trash and stuff out of their bin. Every episode, just teleporting it all away. And then like the last episode, they could show all the dust and trash and shit just appearing in Yusaku's house or some shit like that. And like the implication being that that's where, that's where they've been teleporting it the whole damn time, you know, just to abuse him. I think that would have been funny as shit. Uh, Jingaro falls like a Looney Tunes character here when, um, when Kurumi quits teleporting him to answer the door. He, he kind of has that moment where he's, he realizes he should be falling. He looks down. It's very wily coyote ish. And then he, he sort of flails for a moment before he falls again. It's some of that hyperbolic animation that we see that's used mostly for physical comedy in this show, uh, but it's used effectively here. Uh, and again, it's not reflecting the way a cat really would fall in real life when you drop a cat in real life, because you drop cats all the time in real life, right? I like to drop kick mine. I'm nicer to him than that, but I like to sometimes. And I got to ask myself, as Shikaru is leaving the apartment, she didn't find Kasuga. As she's leaving, there's Yusaku. She bumps into him. What's Yusaku doing outside of Kasuga's apartment building? Did he follow Shikaru there? Was he hoping to bump into her there? Or was he already there? Was he, was he lurking in hopes of running into Kasuga himself? If you guys remember my hot take from last episode, I think maybe it's the latter. I think maybe Yusaku was there hoping to see Kasuga, hoping to bump into Kasuga. Be vaguely threatening, but in an oddly intimate way. Locking eyes, you know? Shaking his fist a little bit, getting a little too close, maybe, inside that personal bubble. All under the pretense of physically threatening Kasuga, though. This is the first time in the series that I've ever wondered whether or not Shikaru has any idea that Yusaku likes her. She seems to in this episode. And he does come out and say, why don't you go out with me instead of Kasuga? So it's probably about as close as he's going to get to a, a, a direct admission of his feelings to Shikaru. So she's got to see it, at least at that point. Although I feel like in the future, she does play oblivious a lot. It might be the easier way to go. But she gets him to look away. She says, do you have enough money to to take me out. He looks down at his wallet and then she ditches him. Karma's going to come back to bite her on that one later on in this episode. Now, Komatsu's room is over the top sexual. He might as well get the words, I love jacking off tattooed on his face. I can't imagine him letting anybody inside that room. When Hata mentions that Kasuga has a girl that he likes available to him, Kasuga immediately imagines Ayukawa in this this kind of like vivid scene the sky is like a red reddish purple the wind is blowing Ayukawa's hair and she's kind of standing there boldly the 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 grass is moving and um it's really kind of an odd like way he imagines her in that scene she's not it's not one of the he Kasuga of course has plenty of of um, imagined scenarios where Ayuko was looking beautiful or radiant, like in the previous episode, she was literally sparkling in his eyes as he as he viewed her, as he gazed upon her. But here he imagines her. I don't know. And even the music that's playing in that in that moment where he's imagining Ayuko is it's almost like this kind of tense sort of thriller, like music it feels almost like she's preparing for some kind of confrontation, and not that. Kasuga is imagining her in some way. So I always thought that was a really weird kind of insert here. But I, I guess it seems to work because 
In his next breath, Kasuga begins to defend Ayuko and not realizing that, of course, that Komatsu had originally been referring to uh, Shikaru. This is kind of foreshadowing of, of something that's going to come up later in the episode as kind of a, 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 a source of furthering the conflict. Kasuga, um, of course, comes to Ayuko's defense here as he does later in the episode as well. He has this concern that people misunderstand Ayukawa. And so that's part of the conflict of this episode. And, and it's laid out here in the early, in the early moments with Kasuga and um, Komatsu here and Hata. Komatsu stirs up Kasuga's insecurities about Ayukawa's relative maturity compared to Kasuga. Uh, shortly after Kasuga's internal remark that he he knows almost nothing about Ayukawa's past, he has this flashback of Ayukawa asking to spend the night with him from uh, episode five, the part-time job episode. He then wonders if she's that kind of girl. Like, maybe she asks other men if she can go spend the night at their houses too. Is she easy? Is she promiscuous? He's experiencing some of his most extreme dissonance here as he's put Ayukawa on this pedestal for the last several weeks. But he also has this fear that's kind of ingrained in him by these sociocultural norms that maybe she's like this easy girl and therefore she's not she's not this person that he's been putting on on this pedestal. Maybe maybe he's misappraised uh, her somehow and um so he's got this dissonance going that that this sociocultural norm pushes him away from uh, an easy or a promiscuous type of woman and um this sociocultural value encourages him to be with this chaste, pure girl next door. And so he's experiencing this distance because he very much wants Ayukawa. And if he begins to perceive her as being as being this uh, promiscuous woman, then then uh, it runs up against these sociocultural norms that he's that are ingrained within him. So he's really worried about Ayukawa's virtue after leaving Komatsu's den of degeneracy. I mean, his Komatsu's room was so terrible. There were literally tits on his ceiling. If you shone a blacklight in his room, you'd go blind. This is an example of uh, kind of a baked-in um, social level. You know, if you kind of imagine the socio-ecological model where the individual is at the center and then, like, layers... Um, move away from that center and you get kind of more generalized, but, but as such more kind of far reaching, um, uh, structures that impact people. And so this is kind of like that social, it's a higher level structure, but it's almost more invisible because it's not something that's, that's happening, uh, at, at an individual level. It's something that's sort of blanketed across, um, an entire society or an entire culture. And, and so it's sort of like this, it is not unique to Japanese culture at all. This is this is actually a type of a kind of a baked-in misogyny that's prevalent in a lot of cultures where women are held to this different standard than men in terms of sex and promiscuity. So we'll pick up on this again in a minute. Um, but it is a little bit ironic with Kasuga leaving this. Uh, you know, he's over at Komatsu's and they're all they got like stacks of pornography and they're looking at the ceiling with with the titties on the ceiling and thinking, cool, but. At the same time, this kind of degeneracy is okay for Kasuga and his friends being males, but that would not be okay if it were uh, Ayukawa or his sisters. That would make him feel differently and uh, versus you know him and, and 
Komatsu and Hata. So this is a little bit of a commentary there. I think this episode uh, functions a little bit as a commentary on that type of kind of cavalier attitude when men do it, but but when when women also enjoy that type of thing, oh, that's bad. So uh, definitely something that we're going to pick up on again, but uh, they're they're laying down a little bit of that here. Now, here's where Koska's bumped into Ayukawa, and um, they decide to hang out. I guess he decides to tag along. It feels kind of puppy dog-ish. They're walking across town. I guess they're going wherever Ayukawa had planned. And, uh, of course, Shikaru is still looking for Kasuga, Yusaku in tow. And they're both simultaneously coming into a park. They approach a large fountain that obscures their view of each other. So Ayukawa and Kasuga cannot see Shikaru or Yusaku and vice versa. And um, Ayukawa begins to walk one way around the fountain and Kasuga begins to walk around the other way. When Kasuga realizes, he of course makes haste to catch back up to Ayukawa. And they, they proceed around opposite sides of the fountain uh, so that they never encounter each other, the two couples. So Ayuko and Kasuka walk around the fountain, and Shikaru and Yusaku walk around the other side of the fountain, and it's large enough that they have no idea that the other two are are there at the same time. And it's a, uh, a wordless scene. It's no dialogue in the scene at all, but, but this music that I'm playing for you now happens to be playing in this wordless scene which is, it's not just filler. I mean, it might feel like filler first time you've watched it, but it's not filler. It, there's a narrative purpose. This close call kind of increases the tension because Shikaru is looking for Kasuga. What's going to happen when she finds him? Why is she looking for him? And this near miss is kind of like, well, if she finds him and he's out hanging out with Ayukawa, he's got to explain what he's doing out with her. And um, so there's a little bit of this tension here, but then uh, it's also a little symbolic too, right? And this is a scene in this episode that's that's often discussed, and it, it gets mentioned all of the time for uh, just the real the the kind of the beauty of the moment. The music, of course, that goes with it is impeccable. I would be remiss to go through this episode without mentioning this and playing this music for you. So Ayukawa then takes Kasuga to a bar called Cafe Bar. Very on the nose, very on the nose. So he's initially reluctant to go in. For her part, Ayukawa is willing to accommodate him, go somewhere else if he's uncomfortable. But there's a chance encounter on the stairs with another couple who know Ayukawa from her previous life, and they needle Kasuga. They they really, they nail his insecurities about Ayukawa, almost like it was written on his face. They could tell, and they knew exactly what to say to trigger him. And and boy, did they trigger him. Boy, did they ever trigger him. So Kasuga, he does defend Ayukawa. This is where he gets the opportunity to again come to Ayukawa's defense. And uh, it does seem that Ayukawa appreciated Kasuga sticking up for her. It sort of demonstrates maybe um, things that I'd mentioned in previous episodes, like the uh, rolling first date episode, where uh, Kasuga's value, it's not just that he's safe, that he he doesn't 
pose this kind of physical threat to Ayukawa. He's not going to try to uh, sexually assault her or anything like that. It's it's um, more like he he values her. He doesn't view her as a, a sex object, and she doesn't exist for his own um, sexual gratification. But he 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 values her as a person, and so his coming to her defense in such a way. I think reinforces that idea that he values her as a person. And I think she appreciates that, of course, because she does have this relative maturity, uh, physical maturity, and she's often mistaken for an older uh, individual, an older teenager, an adult. And she's oftentimes approached by certain men based around her physicality and those men wanting to get with that. So they get inside, and, and Koska had no idea that the beverage that he'd ordered, or maybe Ayukawa had ordered for the two of them, was alcoholic until he tasted it. So Ayukawa was trying to get Kasuga wasted confirmed, which is easy work. He's a fucking lightweight. Let's be real. At the same time, shitty Kasuga is an all-time great. Kasuga insisting that he's not drunk, it's like Richard Pryor in See No Evil insisting that he's white. I love it. And I got to say, a uh, baller of Kasuga to go in for the kiss. Very confident of him to go in for the kiss. She couldn't let him get it here, though. This is the part of the episode. This is kind of the halfway point. She smacks the taste out of his mouth. That was a slap. She couldn't let him have the kiss here because not only do you have the implications with him dating her best friend, but it's going to confirm his negative thoughts about her. He's in this drunken state. He's making a pass, and... She's already concerned about Kasuga's impression of her. She can't let him get the kiss because that's only going to confirm any uh, negative impression that he might have. She already intuits that he's a little worried about um, her virtue. Now, when Kasuga remembers the slap the next day, you know, at first he doesn't remember when he when he wakes up. That's how wasted he is. That's how uh, well, that's what a what a lightweight he is in this episode. When Kasuga remembers the slap, we get to see it for a second time, and it actually shows it from a, a few angles. The second time, we kind of get uh, like a smack, smack, smack because we get to see it from three different angles. That's how important it is. I mean, you got to remember, unlike live action where they could just set up three cameras and 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 she just smacks him one time, and we film it from three different angles. This has to be animated each angle, right? Somebody's got to draw Ayuko a smack in Kasuga three times from three different angles to make this happen. So it's got to be important if they want to repeat it. And you also at the same time get a slightly different audio sample here too where you still hear the smack, but you also hear these like tires screeching as Kasuga's remembering. This is his subjective addition to this scene. So that is a, it's an audio cue for us, the listener, to realize like, oh gosh, like it's dawning on Costco what just happened and what the terrible implications of that are. He's tremendously embarrassed by this. As anybody who's uh, done something stupid when they've been intoxicated would be. So I think Costco's a little bit confused. You know, on the one hand, earlier in the episode, he was remembering Ayukawa asking to spend the night when she was intoxicated herself. And so then when when he's intoxicated and he sort of makes this physical pass at her, it's a no-go. Gets slapped, in fact. And I think he's maybe a little bit confused, but I think he also realizes that he sort of stepped out of line and 
that by uh, trying to kiss her, after admitting some of these insecurities, I mean, when he is when he is intoxicated just before he makes the the, the pass at her, he does um, he does admit that he is a little insecure about how uh, far ahead of him she is in terms of her development and and possibly her experience. But then he he also simultaneously claims to not believe what was said about her, and I think this that was the comment that really kind of set her up. She can't she can't allow the 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 kiss to to happen because she's realizing in that moment that that Casca might be buying into some of what's said about her. And I think Casca, in his realization the next day, he understands that she realizes that he mischaracterized her as well. My typical where the f*** are the parents moment, um, Casca, 15 years old or something like that, gets shit-faced on a school night. But at least... At least they wrote in a little bit of dialogue. Kurumi got to remind Kasuga how furious uh, Kasuga's father Takashi was that he came home stinking drunk, like some 45-year-old man. I mean, no real consequences, but hey, at least they wrote a little bit of dialogue in like, dad doesn't approve when you come home shit-faced on a Tuesday night. Now, the next day, we got to give Shikaru some credit. She correctly intuits that something has upset Ayukawa. Uh, because Ayukawa got an order wrong at Abakabu. Ayukawa gives this kind of nervous, like Kasuga style response here. It's usually Kasuga that starts tripping over his words nervously, trying to like laugh something off. But here Ayukawa is actually doing something very, very similar because again, she's kind of caught on her heels and she doesn't want to accidentally spill the beans and reveal something to Shikaru. She even says, oh, it never went anywhere, which implies that Part of her rebuffing of Kasuga's advances was to avoid hurting Shikaru so that she wouldn't have to lie about something actually happening. Uh, so again, here it's important to Ayukawa that that Shikaru not discover that Ayukawa and Kasuga were spending time together the night before, even if it didn't go anywhere physically. Classic moment of this episode, and in fact, probably the the, the most subtly funny moment of this episode is when Master looks over at Ayukawa right after Ayukawa drops that glass on purpose. And he's looking at her like, bitch, please wreck your own shit. Like she just smashed his glass just to get Shikaru to pay attention to something else. And, and, and I think it was meant to be like Master is realizing that um, Ayukawa is, is experiencing some kind of emotional duress. It wasn't supposed to be uh, like selfish. Like Master was realizing, like, yes, you know, I'm breaking my stuff, you know. I don't think it was like that, but. We got um, another very famous piece of music, another famous piece of background music from the Orange Road series that I would be remiss to not play for you guys. Ayukawa is, of course, playing her own theme. This is sometimes called um, Madoka's theme. If, you, if you're Googling it in English, uh, Madoka no Timu, Tima, no, Madoka no Tima. Uh, it's Ayukawa's sax, uh, Madoka's sax, Madoka's theme, that's how you're going to find it if you want to Google it. Madoka's theme. Um, and there's Ayukawa playing the saxophone. She's having this, you know, it's what Ayukawa does, especially in these early episodes, when she's got this, um, her own dissonance. This is how she works it out. Now, as she's playing, we see this flashback of the night before with Kasuga again going in for the kiss. It's a pivotal moment. They got to show it to us four, five, six times. 
Except this time, no slap. No slap. We actually see it dissolve from from Casca just before the lips connect, just before that kiss happens. No slap again. And it dissolves to Casca. He's laying in bed kind of pitifully, feeling sorry for himself. And um, I wonder upon upon um, maybe uh, subsequent viewings of this episode, whose mind are we seeing inside just then? We see Ayukawa playing the sax. We see the flashback. It dissolves to Kasuga. Is this Ayukawa imagining them kissing? Or is this Kasuga replaying the event in his mind? I, I got to say, I think it was Ayukawa. I think that the flashback's occurring in Ayuko's head because we see her first. She's playing the saxophone. What is she thinking about? What's on her mind as she's playing this theme that we're hearing now? And I think it's that moment. I think she's imagining what would have happened if she hadn't uh, smacked him, how it would have gone if he'd really laid one on her. But the flashback does serve a narrative purpose, too. And it serves as a bridge between Ayuko and Kasuga, as we're seeing Ayuko playing the sax. And then... We see Kasuga laying in bed kind of pitifully. And it tells us that they're both thinking about this. Uh, they're both thinking about this event. This event is on both of their minds. And um, the the music continues to play as a bridge as well. So the music plays into Kasuga's scene. It's, of course, diegetic music. Ayuko was playing the saxophone. But then as we see Kasuga, he couldn't possibly be hearing her play the saxophone from across town um, but it still it it acts as this uh, sort of audio bridge that takes us into his into his space, and we see that he's kind of feeling the same way too. The music is very much appropriate for his um, mopishness as well. Now, I always thought that Shikaru feeding Kasuga like he was a child was just really um, how to put it delicately, some punk bitch shit. I always thought it that it was just it's crazy to think that that he's just kind of he just sits there. And then of course when Ayukawa um opens the door to the roof and she sees him there and he's just kind of sitting there and she got her feeding him and it's just ugh. I always cringe when I see that because I'm I'm imagining how it would feel if this person that you know Kasuga is already worried that Ayukawa is ahead of him in terms of her development and her experience and for her to be so mature and so worldly and uh to walk in on him just getting fed by shikaru it's it's like um i don't know it's diminutive again it sort of makes kasuka seem small and boyishness and that's that's already his his issue in this episode so it just that kicks off the the kind of climax, I guess, of the episode where he has to chase after her, and he even uses the power to teleport ahead of her. I always like that bit, even though how the hell do you explain? I mean, she knows that you're behind her. She knows there's one way up and down the roof. You don't have time to get ahead of her. The only way you could do it is using the power, but there's no questions asked, and that's fun. I'm, I'm there for that. She practically comes around the corner to see him teleport in, but he, he barely beats her, but that's okay. Uh, what I also appreciated in a subsequent viewing was that Ayuko and Kasuga are kind of equally awkward here at first on the stairs. They both sort of start out awkwardly, kind of talk over each other. Oops, no, you go. No, 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 it's okay, you go. And um, it actually really makes me think that Ayuko is kind of awkward in this episode. She's usually this badass, like martial arts girl who can 
take care of herself physically. No one's going to uh, pose much of a threat to her. And then she's also so cool. She always knows what's going on. She knows people wherever she goes to these bars and stuff like that. The bar earlier tonight, they said, here's the usual. Are you cool? I mean, they just served it to her. They, she has to go there often enough for them to know what her usual drink is. She's got this like air of cool to her, right? All the artwork that you ever see for this for this show, she's putting on aviators. She's standing at the top of a uh, hundred stairs, maybe ninety nine stairs steps. She's like a cool as a cucumber, right? There's there's no like shaking her, but in this episode, she seems a little bit um, awkward, honestly. And I appreciate that. I actually appreciate that it sort of humanizes her a little bit. It shows that she's not immune to these social situations that can occur that can uh, complicate her her relationships that she values and it also shows that she, maybe she's not she's not as far ahead of Kasuga in terms of her development as Kasuga thinks so maybe Kasuga is a little bit wrong about presuming that Ayuko is so far ahead of him she's so worldly because she's running into a lot of the same difficulties that he is in terms of her own self-expression and I feel like I'm right in that because Kasuga's conversation here with Ayukawa confirms that she's not promiscuous. It actually, um, she was not being indiscriminate about, about whose house she spent the night at. And, and, and Kasuga said the same thing. He said, it's not that I was trying to just kiss anybody. And so they're not being super clear about their feelings, but it does kind of seem like it's important to her. It mattered to her that she was asking Kasuga. She doesn't ask every guy to, to go spend the night over at his house, but but she was asking Kasuga because it means something. And Kasuga admitted the same about about trying to 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 kiss her. Doesn't really advance things. We got like forty two episodes left, so um, it's not really going to advance things too much. But it clears the air and it allows them to kind of be be cool and get some resolution for this episode. But the resolution that you're not going to get for this episode. Where the f*** was that Katsusant that Kasuga gives Ayukua? Inner circle. I am inner circle. I can't tell you where Kasuga was keeping that Katsusant. Maybe he teleported it. I can tell you that if you like podcasts, and I hope you do, because I make them. I make this one. I make another one called Shit Happens When You Party Naked. And if you like podcasts, and if you like silly, goofy podcasts, and maybe if you like my voice, I think you should check out patreon.com slash teamalmy so that you can get access to the Patreon-exclusive Shit Happens When You Party Naked. It's the podcast that is too raw for the rest of the internet. But for real, I got a lot of complaints about it, so I moved it over to Patreon, where, um, I don't know, you can't stumble into explicit podcast by accident go check us out over there i would love you if you did also check out the rest of the inner circle podcast network we've got a bunch of great shows killer lineup they're all hilarious shows thoughtful shows entertaining shows shows like hashtag no offense simmons and more podcast the hood diner untrained eye failing hollywood and plunge podcast you got to check them out at innercirclepn.com I appreciate you very very much for listening to this episode I really appreciate all of the lovely feedback that I have received on this podcast I want to invite you to please 
Subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Please leave us a rating and a review. I love seeing those, and they are helpful, or so I am told. All of the, the experts say that they are helpful to our positions in the algorithms and our discoverability, and I would love for more people to discover this podcast covering exclusively a semi-obscure anime from the 80s. That would be great. And um, I'm going to leave you guys with a remix of the, the Fountain. Ah, I have something very nice for you guys. Earl Knight. Go check out his YouTube. Earl Knight. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. Just last week, he made a uh, remix of the Fountain song. And I'm going to leave you guys with that. <laughs>